Nikki Gattenby, welcome to Being Human. Thank you very much. So you are the managing director of Propellinet and a published author of Super Engaged. Yes, very recent, so it's only three months that it's been out, but yes. It's yeah, out. and now shortlisted for Business Book of the Year, that mm -hmm. happened yeah. this week. Wednesday, yes. Wednesday, <laughs> exciting. So I am super excited to be here uh, in your offices in Brighton. Palinette. We've already had a conversation with, with Jack, the CEO, but now we're getting to go much deeper into the philosophy of, of Propellinet through what you've told us in this, this book, uh, which I think is going to be of enormous value to our listeners. So let's start with Super Engaged. What do you mean by Super Engaged? It's really interesting. There's a, there's a, a global issue of engagement at work. Only 30% of people globally in the workforce are engaged in what they do every day. That means 70% of people are turning up probably not bringing their full selves to work, possibly hoping just not to get fired. What a waste of our collective human intelligence is that, and how bad is it for business? Now, knowing that from a research perspective, but also my own experience and lots of friends and relatives not enjoying their work and thinking, what a waste of our lives if that's happening. And I've been on a bit of a mission for the last 20 years to put people before profit, knowing that if you put people first, the profit will come. If you put money first, people tend to leave, and I've seen it time and time again. So our whole business here is about how we can increase the engagement levels of our team. It doesn't just mean about making people happy, but it's engagement. They feel challenged to do really, really good work and really love what they're doing every day. That way, we have way more innovation coming out of this business, way more creativity. We can live our values that our clients really want to enjoy and pay for, and we come up with ideas that light up the world. So engagement is one thing. Super engagement is where we've got to a whole other level with it, and internal research here shown that people here are so engaged, not everybody, but at least a third of the business is super engaged in what they're doing. It doesn't even feel like work anymore. So that's what you define it is. They don't, it doesn't feel to them like they're at work. It, right. takes, it takes engagement to a whole other level. Right, okay. And, and you're saying, so it's 90% right uh, here are engaged, yes. which is incredible. And they had to create a new category when they did the survey, and that's where super engaged exactly came right. from, right? Because they found that a bunch of your people were at a different level of engagement to, to how they would normally survey it, which is incredible. So just for people who, so we hear that term used a lot in business, uh, engaged, but so how do you define it at those two levels then, engaged and super, super engaged? So in any business, for people to feel engaged, they need to feel that they have a voice, employee voice is so important, Yeah. they can trust the business and that they matter. It's not, it's not hard, you know, listen to people, be trustworthy and enable them to have you know, their opinion and, and they can make a difference within the business. Mm. So that, that's engagement levels. When you get to super engagement, it really ramps up. So people feel that their emotional and psychological well-being is being taken care of, that the business really does have their back. And if that's the case, they will have the back of the business. They will, they will back the business 150%. Trust is still a main part in there, but challenge and they know where they're going and they know how far they can push it. That's the difference between engagement and people just enjoying what they're doing, but you know, wanting to, to make mm. an impact. But the challenge aspect, knowing that they are, can take risks and they can innovate because the company takes care of their emotional and psychological well-being, takes it up to a whole other level. If people operating out of fear, they tend not to innovate. They tend not to be so challenging in what they can, they can think about because they think they might get it wrong and get fired. That's, where, that's why so many people are unengaged because they're worried about their jobs. If you can create that environment of safety, but with challenge that goes with it, it's amazing what people will come up with. As I say, ideas that might just light up the world. Right, okay. And Okay, so what is it that you've put, so I wonder where to start actually, to start with some of the, because there are some awesome examples of people actually taking risks and how that's manifested for your business. 
Um, so maybe let's start with a couple of there, those examples and then what it is you actively do to create the environment where that can happen. So what are some examples of people t taking on those challenges? So we, um, we ask people what their side hustles are because if everybody has interests outside of work and in a lot of businesses they tend to be parked to the side and just pushed outside and people have to get on with them in their, in their out of hours time. I believe if you can bring that kind of thing in, it makes a massive difference to how engaged people are in their business. And we'll get to the mechanics of how it works in a minute, but one of our team, Andy, is hugely into cycling. And he really, really loves his bikes. He cycles probably two, 300 miles a week. He's, he's out there all the time doing this. And he said to me, I'd just love to work with more cycling clients. You know, if that, if, that, if that could be my day job, it would not feel like work. And because he's so into cycling, can you imagine the impact it would have on a cycling client if he was working with it? Because he would just know so much about their world and their business. So when Evan Cycles approached us and said, we'd like to work with you, Andy was the perfect person to lead that pitch. Now, that's one of those serendipitous things. It's a bit like when you think about buying a new car or something, you suddenly see lots of them on the street. We thought a lot about, OK, how can we get in front of a cycling kind? And suddenly they just seem to be there. So the work we do with Evans is really quite purposeful. Obviously, it's about selling more bikes. Clearly, we're in marketing, it's about sales. But the way Evans go about it is they want to get more commuters out of their cars and onto bikes because it's, there's proven evidence to show that if you commute via cycling rather than car, you reduce your risk of a heart attack by 42%. Now that has a huge impact on both humans, you know, individuals' well-being, but our country and the national health and the, the stress and strain we are all putting on our country because of our lifestyles. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strong pull for us to do purposeful work. It's brilliant for Andy to be involved in bikes. And Evans wanted us to help them with their e-bikes because there's a lot of confusion. Our business is based in search marketing. We can see what people are looking for online and understand how we can answer their queries. If you look at what people are looking for around e-bikes, there's so much confusion. How heavy are they? Do you need a license? Do you need to charge them up? How much? And it's just people are a little bit confused. And yes, they are expensive. So we decided to create a whole load of content around e-bikes, but we needed a hook to get people in to understand more about them. So um, you'll probably remember, as I do, the 1973 Sir Ridley Scott ad, the Hovis boy who cycled up Gold Hill delivering bread. Famous, very famous ever in the UK. Yes, yes bread, yeah, yeah, in the UK. Um, and we decided nostalgia is brilliant in terms of getting people to really ride on the back of it and the PR opportunities off the back of nostalgia are great. So we got in touch with the original Hovis boy, Carl Barlow, who is now an ex-firefighter, he's 68 years old, who's very hard to find actually, he's not on any social media. And he, we said to him, would you be part of this campaign to help Evans get on the e-bike uh, market radar and go back up Gold Hill, but this time on an e-bike? Brilliantly, he said yes, and Hovis got involved in the campaign too. So we went back and we reshot the Sir Ridley Scott ad. I mean, it, you know, very different in terms of the, the way it actually turned out, but the music was very similar and all that kind of thing. So, what and he made did, it to the top. And he made it, of course, he made it to the top. Yes, there was a video of him going right from the bottom to the top. But what that did was it really ignited the, the kind of passion of people in the UK around the, that nostalgia of the ad and put Evans on their radar, and it increased their share of the e-bike market by 32%. But the biggest thing is we got in front of over a million people who then thought differently about their commute to work. And we've had a hell of a lot of people getting out of their cars and onto a bike and reducing the risk of heart attack. Wow. And, and, and part of that started with how do we have Andy's job not feel like work? Yes. Something like that. Yes. Right. Uh, there's loads of examples. I'll just give you a couple more. So Jim, who's one of our board directors, and this is going to happen at any level, He's really, really into property development and he would be having to do that on the side and funding it himself. We have a great cash flow in the business. You know, we're a successful mm. business. So we were having money in the bank, which these days doesn't get much of a return. And Jim, very commercial guy, said, I'd like to take some of that cash flow 
still have it in a relatively liquid form, but take it and buy a house with it, use it for a mortgage, and um, change that house into starter homes, so knock it into flats. We need starter homes in Brighton. We don't need two million pound houses, we need starter homes. So knowing that's what Jim wanted to do and the fact that we could sell those properties at profit, so money goes back into the bottom line, brilliant. But we also know lots of people here want to get onto the property ladder. And if you try and buy a starter home in Brighton, you are 15 deep in a queue of people, probably five ahead of you that come from London with cash in their back pockets. It's really competitive. So in a company meeting about three years ago, we said to the team, we're going to buy this house and make it into starter homes. Would anybody like to buy one? And you should have seen the reaction in the room. So Jim's dream is coming true. He can get into property development. Agency team's dreams are coming true because they can get onto the property ladder and we make a profit. Clearly we sold them at market value, but we just took the heat out of the market. So it's a very different way of looking at how you grow your business. It's, just, it's not just more of the same, but putting people's passion in there means it's actually helping them live their life to a fuller degree and your business grows in a different way than you ever thought was imaginable. The final one I'll share is um, Sophie is our audience strategy director and she really wanted to go on safari. It's something she's wanted to do forever, but it's quite expensive going on safari. Wild Dog Safaris called us up and said that um, they needed some help with their marketing, but they didn't have enough money to pay us. They're based in Namibia and the exchange rate between the pound and the Namibian <laughs> currency is ridiculous. So um, it was Jack actually, our CEO, his uh, dream, dream ball radar went off and he said, actually, let's look at this differently. So Sophie took her sabbatical out in Namibia for six weeks with Wild Dog Safaris and she came back with a business plan. We now do their marketing for them. We're learning a lot about ecotourism, which helps us in our business to get new business. And they are paying us in free safaris. So this isn't a commercial contract, it's a social contract. And you can imagine the feeling in this team of the great work they're doing for an ecotourism client, which we wouldn't normally be able to do if we only looked through a commercial lens, and the impact it's having in Namibia on that, that country, that team, and the people within it, but also the people's experiences here. Right, okay, so those, all three of those examples are individuals have got a passion, they've got a dream, and you're asking the question, how can we make this work for the agency? Right, not how can we give you some free time to do it, or how can we give you a bonus to go yep. do that thing? Yes. You, you integrate it into the mission of the business. And that seems to me what one of the differences here is that it's not like you're trying to enable people to have great experiences outside. It's like, how do, you, how do they have them inside? That, is it something that's the like, ultimate, absolutely. One of our designers, Corinne, she has a website that she runs with her husband called 9 by 9 where they're trying to support local artists who don't have much exposure or time to build a website with selling their art. And 9 by 9 is beautiful. Corinne is a brilliant curator of art and it's, it's just nine different visuals every single month of nine different new artists. So what we've done, and we can see it outside the building, is with our front window, which gets a lot of footfall past it because we're in the middle of a busy city, we've recreated the website window on our front window. So the nine image prints that she has on the website each month, we have in our front window too. So we're fully supporting her business within this business. And you can imagine the loyalty Corin has to this business because it's, it's something an employer wouldn't normally do. Right. I mean, a lot of people listening to this can be like, oh, right, running a business on dreams, but how do you, how do you stay profitable? That's gonna be, you know, how do you manage your bottom line if that's your mission? Well, there's no doubt about it. You know, we are a marketing agency. We work with marketing clients and people have to be really, really good at their jobs. 
But if you can see that by bringing their side hustles into the business, they're gonna be more focused on the business, they're gonna work like fury on the clients they've got because they want to maintain this ability to work on the other thing too. And if mm. the two happen to collide like they do with Andy, you've kind of got the perfect match. Right. And yes, we are a commercial business, but also the other metrics that we enjoy, 98% of our team would recommend working here to others and they actively do. You can imagine the cost that so saves us on recruitment. Our staff turnover rate is a third of the industry average, or less than that actually. The industry average, based on the latest IPA report, is 30% turnover. We have less than 7%. So in terms of client relationships, in terms of you know, knowledge leaving the building, we don't have that wastage to the same degree as other agencies. We've already got a competitive advantage there. Average day off sick is one day a year per That's person. And you know, depending which report you look at, it's anywhere between five and 12 That's in other right. agencies. And the, the amount of waste, if you added up all of your team and times that by 12 days, you're losing a hell of a lot of business time to sickness and illness where people are not enjoying their jobs. So it can feel quite frivolous or you run your business on dreams until you look under the bonnet and think, actually, there's all these really sustainable metrics that make this business a really strong place to be. And I am absolutely all over the commercials. We have to be sustainable. We're not a charity. We don't have anyone funding us. We want to create more money and throw off enough cash so we can invest in different businesses and different ways to grow our business. And it's not all about just getting bigger. It's about involving our team in the growth of this business in ways that motivates them beyond any we could ever do individually. Right, and, and so and do you see a link there between this culture of investing in people first, investing in their passions, and not growing? Is, is, there, a, is there a link? Um, I suppose it's almost, um, it's kind of cause and effect, but I've run big agencies, and if you're 300 plus, you know, we're humans, we're messy, we have a lot of baggage that comes with us, and it, it, you end up running the operation of the business as opposed to working with your clients and coming up with brilliant ideas when you get to that sort of size. And of course there are companies that are way bigger than that. But to get the best out of our team, we've decided to cap the size of this business at 60 people, and we call it 60 Precious Seats. And that is a real active strategy to force us to innovate in our growth. We could double the size of this business in terms of number of people in a matter of months, as any agency could. It wouldn't necessarily mean more margin. It would probably have more operational headaches. It wouldn't necessarily mean more creativity because you're trying to juggle a lot more activity. And it wouldn't necessarily mean more fun. And actually, all of us want to have a good time at work. I want to have a good time at work. And if, I'm having, you know, if my team are having a good time, I'm having a good time. So 60 precious seats is a real active approach for us. And it means we have to think differently about how we drive revenue. So it also means people are very responsible for their seat. And we have a language here where we say, you know, what have you done to earn your seat this week? And people actively step up. That can feel like quite a heavy challenge if you're not used to it. But that's what I mean by engagement and super engagement is it's OK to be challenged like that because we, each of us knows we need to earn our seat. And someone was quite within their rights to ask me the same thing too. So there's this level of responsibility that goes up a gear when you think very carefully about every single seat you have in the business. It also means if someone does decide to leave, and that's fine, it's not a job for life, people can move on and we're very happy for them. We don't necessarily replace like for like. We think strategically about how do you want this business to look going forward? What shape do we want? We don't necessarily just get another person, a PR person, another technical SEO. We think, where is this business going and what could the future look like? So it's a very deliberate strategy to make us think. Mm. And one of the best things that ever happened was when we looked at revenue per person, in an agency it tends to be between 90 and 120,000 pound revenue per person. We wanted to look at a way to double that. Now, if you're just selling people's time, 
you can't make them work twice as many hours. That's, you know, that's not very fair on them. Uh, they won't like it very much and they'll leave. And you'll end up with knackered people that don't do great work for clients. So that's not very good for clients either. You could double your day rate. Clients don't like that very much either. So you've got to think creatively about how you're going to make more money. So again, back to asking the team. And we knew if we could solve a problem for this agency, it's likely we could solve the same problem in other agencies and monetize that. So what I mean by that is we asked everyone, what could we do to make life better for you in this business? And most of our PR team said, if only we could automate the production of coverage books. Now, for anyone who works in PR, you'll know what they are. But just as a summary, when you get coverage for your client from a PR perspective, they want to know what you've done and where it is because they might not see it all. So you need to create a coverage book. And it used to be snipping things out of newspapers and magazine and pasting them in a book, literally very manual. Now it's snipping things out of um, web pages and pasting it into a PowerPoint. It's a pretty soulless task. And then you have to go find all the metrics that go with that coverage, you know, how many people do they reach, et cetera. And it takes a long time to do, but it's very high value for a client because they want to know where their money's going and what, in, you know, what coverage you've got in the world. So cutting a very long story short, over the last four years, strategy director Gary took that challenge on and said, OK, I'll work with this and develop a technology product that we can sell on a license basis to automate the production of coverage books. And last year, after three years of self, totally self-invested funding, coverage books has gone live. It's selling in over 3,000 cities around the world, I think near 4,000 now. And this year it's set to make more money than the agency. Now that is a complete step change in revenue per person by doing something different. If we hadn't have thought about 60 precious seats and we hadn't capped our number of people in the 21st century, we'd have just been blindly growing and growing and growing bums on seats. But we have technology at our fingertips these days and there is a different way to do things. And we can generate more money for this business make life better for the PR industry and the feedback we've had from the industry is incredible in terms of making people's lives better. We're saving other agencies time. Yes, they're paying for it, but a fraction of the amount of that time that, and the value they're losing in someone doing a soulless task. So it's kind of a win, 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 if you see what I mean. Everybody is getting something they need out of this. And we're creating more revenue for us to invest in something else to help us grow in another way. And it started with the constraint of, we're only going to have 60 people and we've got to think about how we can grow revenue yes. without growing numbers of people. Yes. And it all started with forcing yourself to have that yes. constraint, right? But then backing someone to build a product when you're a services agency, right? And mm -hmm. so that took something as well. And it comes back to how people feel trusted, <clears throat> how they feel heard, how they feel that they're challenged and their emotional, psychological well-being is being taken care of. Because you can't give someone that challenge if they're living in fear. If they're coming from a strong place and they're not worried that you know failure means they're going to get the sack, they'll probably like to take that challenge and run at 100 miles an hour with it. Right. And so what happens when somebody does take a risk and they fail? How do you deal with that? We talk about it, we share it. You know, things, things do go wrong. What we do, you know, we, we spread our risk. So um, Jack may have shared this with you already, but we started a beer company. We don't know that much about beer. And actually, it's really hard to run a beer company. So over two years, we've learned a lot and we understand how distribution works, but we decided to walk away from that idea. So things can be shut down. So it's less thinking about it as failure, it's just more about learning. And that's right. really easy to say. And I know people who are working in an environment of fear would think, I, I couldn't even go there. Here, it's okay. Let's just try it. You know, and those people who are still who worked on the beer idea, they're still around? Yes, yeah. Right. Because there's so much else going on. There's so many other clients within the agency. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. See, that, that, that seems to me like an important part of the DNA here, is that you can take a risk, you can screw it up or learn something, however you want to frame it, and you're still, you've still got the precious seat. 
As, but as long as what? Like, what, what would you look, would you say there's some qualifier to that? Like, it's okay to take risk, it's okay if you learn something, it doesn't pan out. As, is there an as long as at the end of that? Most people have um, a, a kind of a dual role, so a client facing role in some way, shape or form, and they can take a, a risk of, you know, on an, another vi- business venture. Our technology team are now 100% in the technology business, and that was a very deliberate decision because it's hard to start a technology mm. business. <clears throat> it's hard to do, take any risk, but... Um, so long as we do have some kind of commercial cover and the business is working. The other side of it is, are they a brilliant person to work with? And we have established set of values, which is innovation, creativity, which comes through in Reams, adventure, fun and wellbeing. But we also talk about behaviours. And the behaviour we ask of people is to be a stunning colleague. I nicked that completely from Netflix. Thank you, Netflix. It's brilliant. But basically, be the person everyone wants to have in the team. There's a brilliant report by Harvard Business Review that says one toxic employee can wipe out the goodwill of three others. We don't stand for that kind of stuff. We don't want people thinking, oh my God, I've got to look behind me because there's this political nightmare going on. You know, there's always going to be gossip and bits and pub talk and that's fine. But what I won't stand for is people undermining each other. You know, here we need to support each other. Everybody needs to make sure that everybody else is okay. And to do that, you need to be a stunning colleague. And that's the very expected behavior. And we talk about it a lot. We talk about it at the interview stage, the minute people walk into the building in their induction, we have awards for stunning colleagues, and it's, it, you know, it can feel a little bit McDonald's five stars, but it really works because it's an appreciated behaviour. And when you are on the receipt of someone saying, "Here's some feedback. This is why I nominated you for a stunning colleague award," it feels amazing, and it's back to that my emotional and psychological well-being. You know, people mm. people notice what I do here, mm. and they love it. And you know, it, that feedback loop is so so important. Again, we're humans, we're messy, we come with a lot of baggage, we need to talk to each other and make sure everyone feels trusted. Right. It's not perfect, don't get me wrong, but that's where we're striving for it to be. Yeah, okay, awesome. So you did allude briefly to the dream ball process, yes. so could we go take a look at your famed, now famed, <laughs> dream ball machine? Yeah, absolutely, okay, absolutely. Great. It's downstairs in the foundry, so we'll go down there. We'll go and have a look, okay. great, thanks. So here we are at the dream ball machine. Tell us more. Um, this was a mad idea that's turned into something that actually is fundamental to our business now. We talked about bringing people's side hustles in and wanting to understand their dreams more. So we thought, well, why don't we make it something bigger, not just a conversation, but something that becomes almost iconic with what we do. And this is a dream ball machine. It's an old-fashioned sweet dispenser. We found it on eBay. Um, and inside of the top globe, there are capsules, a bit like you get in a Kinder Egg. And inside each capsule, there is the name of each person in the agency once they've passed their probation. And if we hit a target, or you win an award, or just because it's sunny, because there's no rules around dreams, we'll release a dream ball, and we'll aim to make that person's dream come true. And how do we know what their dreams are? This is one of the reasons I love my job. When someone passes their probation, I have a dream consultation with them. <laughs> dream consultation. And I ask them two questions. And the first question is, how are you going to make this business more successful? Because it's down to all of us. There's not somebody running it from the sky. It's, it's all of us. So how, what are you going to do personally? Not what you think somebody else should do, but what are you going to do? And if that happens and we are more successful, what can we do to help make one of your dreams come true? Now, it's a really odd question to be asked at work, but that's kind of why we like it, because it's a little bit kooky and a bit offbeat. And sometimes people will come armed with loads of ideas, and I've done lots of reading around this. We have around 100 dreams in our head at any one moment in time. Places you want to go, people you want to meet, things you want to achieve, things you want to see. And um, it's, it's amazing how much we just put them to the side. We don't actually embrace them every day in terms of what, we, what we're thinking about. So if you can start talking about those dreams, you, they start to materialise and, and come true. Now, when um, we first released a dream ball, it's because we had been nominated uh, one of the best places to work in the UK, and we had 
then got the announcement that we won the best place to work in the UK. So we released two dream balls. And Steve and Jim went off to the World Cup in Rio. Now that's obviously quite a big dream and we, we made it possible in terms of giving them some time off and giving them a bit, a bit of money to go there. But you know, we work with travel clients, we've got a great deal on the flights and we've got people with connections to get tickets. So it's about how we can make the dream as big as possible. <clears throat> and lots of people have had dreams that are quite personal to them. So somebody wanted to spend a month living in Italy and it was Hannah, her dream ball came out and she was seven months pregnant at the time and I was really scared because she got so excited, oh my gosh, you can have the baby in the room. But it was, it was here, she was actually sitting on the sofa here and her dream ball came out and she said, you know, I want my maternity, my husband and I are going to take the same uh, time off and have some time out. We'd love to go and spend a month in Italy. So we've got clients, one of them is Trusted Houses, who have Trusted Houses going on in Italy. We can help make that kind of thing happen. And they spent a month in a beautiful place out in Italy and all their family can spend time with them. So that's a very personal dream. But other people's dreams, as we've been discussing before, can have a direct impact on this business. So it's not all about waiting for your dream ball to drop. If your dream can become part of the business plan, it may either be in here or it could happen anyway. And right. that's what we mean about it being fundamental to the way that the business runs. And what I, what I think is different about it is you're saying, how can we as a company have your dream happen, not just here's some money for a great job or yes. just sort of a, a, yeah. So it's, it's back to the engagement point. This absolutely serves the engagement, isn't it? Because you're helping each other to fulfill your dreams. You're seeing your colleague next next door having a dream fulfilled. It's just, yeah. it's a, it, it is a fundamental, we talked earlier just off camera, it's a fundamentally different way of thinking about business, isn't it? And you, you spoke about how some people can find that tricky, right? When yes. they come in. Because a lot of people agency. just assume that it needs a lot of money to fund, and it doesn't. Money helps, but it needs time and attention. So some of the dreams people have had, one of them wanted to, one of our team wanted to stand on the stage at a West End show. One of my best mates is a stage producer in one of the West End shows. That was so easy. And this person could not believe that she was standing on stage in a West End show. Somebody else wanted me to help them find their dad. Now that's priceless. You can't, you know, you can't throw money at that kind of thing. And we had a very in-depth conversation about whether that was the right thing to do and what if his dad didn't want to be found. But he did, and we did it, and it was amazing. And that's the kind of thing that doesn't need money in these time and attention. So you're right, it's about the business philosophy. It's about people knowing their psychological well-being is being taken care of, they trust us, and they have a voice. It's, it's, it brings all of those things together. And it can feel like we're talking about non-client work a lot. In some cases we are, but my God, it impacts the client work that people do because of how they're feeling about the business. Can you imagine the loyalty it engenders in people when this kind of conversation goes on? Mm -hmm. And I was quite touched about that, that, that story about your colleague finding their father. And I was touched numerous times through this book. In fact, I cried at one point and my partner was like, I can't believe it, you're crying at a business. <laughs> Business book, you weirdo, what's wrong with you? But there's just this, this, I suppose what it reflects is the emotional quality of the conversations here. You're, you're prepared to have, it seems to me, deeper conversations about who people are and, and what they aspire to than, than your average business. Yeah, and you know, it's not comfortable for everybody, and that's fine. We're not the right place for everybody uh, on the planet. But we, we assess that pretty quickly, and in interview scenarios, we do values-based recruitment and we ask people, you know, talk to us about your innovations, what are you interested in terms of innovation, show us your sense of creativity, tell us about the adventures you go on, are you fun to work with, do you take care of your well-being? And if I can see the lights of people's eyes really sparkle at that moment, I know we're going to connect. And I know a dream consultation won't seem too weird to them. Other people are a bit like, what on earth are you talking about? I don't really want to go there. And, and that's fine, you know, just work out early if we're not right for each other. But when it really clicks, it really clicks and it's brilliant. And people here have been able to create startups for other businesses 
whilst they're in a full-time job, which is amazing. And you know, we all benefit from that. So our property business is one of those other businesses. We've started an entertainment brand, which is a whole other conversation. We've got the technology businesses, we've got the safari business, and it's, it's just a wonderful way of looking at growth in a way that doesn't destroy and actually, it's almost like scorched earth policy sometimes growth. You know, we, we live in a world where growth seems to be at the expense of everything else. It's like, we don't need to do that. Uh, there's a brilliant book called Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus by Douglas Rushkoff. I don't know if you've read it. And he talks about the fact that, you know, in our environment, plants grow, forests grow, jungles grow, but they sometimes get to a point where they stop. And particularly in the jungle, they'll, the plants will stop growing when there's just enough light for all living creatures to benefit and they're not going to kill each other. And I think we need to think about that from a business perspective. We don't all need to grow and squeeze each other out of the market. There is plenty of work. There is enough to go around for everybody. Let's look at what growth actually means for us. When we think about personal growth, we don't think about getting bigger. In fact, we think the opposite. You know, it's more about depth and breadth of understanding on what we're doing. So when we're thinking about our businesses, it doesn't always have to be about size. You know, size doesn't always matter. It's about what the quality of the work and the deepness of the relationships within the business to really value for us and other people around us. Mm. And I wonder that because you, I wonder about your personal transition, right? Because you came from, as I understand it, agencies that weren't as oriented in this way previously. So what shifts have you had to make it? Well, it, I, I learned so much in previous agencies. I, I, I wouldn't have changed a thing, but I was also working 90 hour weeks. I hit burnout. Um, I, one of my friends who was a client actually had a heart attack under the age of 40 and that kind of thing made me sit up and think this this is not right yes it was fun yes it was very creative but there was also a lot of alpha males a lot of alpha females and quite a lot of heavy comp competition where it didn't need to be like that and you know, competition can drive performance of course it can but when it's non-stop and you never take a moment to celebrate you never take a moment to reflect it's just the next target the next target the next one we are humans and at the end of the day we need a break we are not robots yet. We need to unplug and we need to think differently and it needs to be more sustainable. It's back to the forest. If we're constantly competing and shoving each other out of the way, someone's gonna die. And that has happened in business. Oh my God, there's a term in Japan, and you may well have heard of it, where people are so stressed at work that they are dying at their desks. And they've now got a word for it because it's so commonplace, it's karoshi. There's a word for people dying at work. What the hell is that all about? Now, we don't want to be anywhere near Karoshi. My other favourite, well, that's not a favourite word, but a favourite word of mine is, and the Dutch pronunciation will be challenging for me, but it's Arbeitsglider. And it means happiness at work. And I think the Dutch have got it right. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant word. And we should have more Arbeitsglider, less Karoshi in the world, because that's the only way to be sustainable going forward. Right, OK. And, and so, you, so, but you came from this place of burnout. You came, you, you've found your way to this organisation because you, you're now the MD but you weren't the founder. So, did, but I'm still interested to know, was there anything you had to let go of or, or give up from your previous incarnation in order to thrive here and, and, and grow the business here? There's, yeah, there's a lot of turning the thinking on its head. So I've been in businesses where the money comes first all the time and I've seen that it doesn't work. So we needed to find a different way. And you can't just you know, put fun at the front all the time. There has to be a commercial angle to it, but you need a balance. And we, we talk about that, that three-way balance between people, purpose, and profit. Because it can't always be about the money because people will leave and you'll lose your sense of purpose. It can't just be purposeful because a lot of the time businesses are like that, they end up becoming more of a charity base and looking for funding. No, we want to be self-funding. And it can't, it can't just be about the people because everything else will fall apart and you need money to make the business work. So you have to find a balance. And getting to that balance is really hard. You know, I've been used to 90-hour weeks. I still don't work. 
work a 37 and a half hour week. I don't think I ever will. One, because I love the business I'm in. I mean, but I'm kind of, it's almost like army training. It's like drilled into you that you work that hard and it's not sustainable. So that I've had to change the way I work. A lot of people who've come from different businesses and different agencies have to rewire their thinking too. And it's almost just relax, relax a little bit to achieve a lot more. So one of the things we do here is we offer people time for training and development. Now, a lot of businesses will say that, but we actually stick, stick to our guns with it. And people get 12 days a year, a day a month, to go and propel themselves forward. And it's completely up to them what they do with that day. I'm not too worried about what they do, but what I want to know is the impact it has back in this business. So back to personal challenge and personal responsibility. Here's the time, we're going to enable you to do this, but what are you actually going to bring back to that business? And some people spend the whole year actually planning, or don't spend the whole year, they actually plan out that time to work out what they're going to do with those 12 days, to reach a big goal at the end of the year, to have a sense of achievement. And people use those days differently, and it's, it's a lovely way of people seeing they're in charge of their own career, and they can develop in the way that they see fit. And I noticed in the book you said that, what was it, so 143 of these propel days have been taken out of 600? Yes. And so where is that now? Have you... That's uh, so interesting, because yes, we had 600 propel days available across the agency. And there was an issue with people taking them, and we were trying to work out why. So this feels like a really good benefit. You know, you've got a day a month to go and do something you want to go and do. And a lot of the time, it was, it was people, I don't know what to do with that day. Because self-directed learning takes a lot more time and attention. You have to think about it yourself. Um, I don't feel that I should be taking that day. I should be working. Well, actually, my perspective is if we've hired you and you've come charged up with, you know, your batteries, batteries fully charged, we need to keep them charged up. So how are you going to make that happen? Some people are just like, I, I actually want to do the client work, so I, I haven't got a thing that I want to do to learn right now. But it's really important that we keep our learning going. So we had a very open conversation about what we can do to keep those, that propel day level up. And our goal is for over 50% of them to be used. So it's, it's kind of a quite a heavy push, and we talk about them in our company meetings. So this is what this person's done with their propel day, this is what this person's done with their propel day, this is the impact back to the business. So others can get some inspiration. So one, to know it's okay. Two, to work out, oh, okay, I may be able to do that. And three, create their own path. Right, but isn't that fascinating that the, the challenge you have is people actually taking yes. them, right? And, and it, so that may be one area where you're still working on from, in terms of the culture. Is there any other place, places you're still looking to develop and push the, yes. push the envelope? What, um, those? Feedback is so, so important. And everyone here knows each other really quite well. You know, we're, we're all good colleagues. There's, there's various different friendship groups. And actually, constructive feedback can be really hard to give if you work in that kind of environment. We have to be much more ballsy at helping each other get better. I am really good with feedback. I would rather feel like an idiot inside the agency than be out with a client and look like an idiot outside of the agency. So I'd I'd rather someone tell me if something was wrong. But sometimes because we have such a positive environment, it's hard for others to do that. So that's something we're really working on because the last thing we want is people not to know what's wrong because they don't stand a chance to correct it. The minute someone can say, oh, this isn't working because, with no judgment, just observation, we all have a chance to do something different. And if we could embrace constructive feedback better, I think we go to another level. And I've, I've read that before. I mean, I know you mentioned in the book, the Frederick Lelou book, right? Yes. Real good, reinventing organisations. He, he talks about one of those tradi- transitions to the teal or to these higher states is where you, you move aw- away from that idea of the loving family into yes. something that's a little bit more edgy, perhaps, or at least that was my reading of it, where you, you're more confident to, to for example, give 
challenging for you. I mean, you know, we're, we're not an amorphous mass. We are not all the same people. We don't all have the same experience. If you're new to your job and your role, it can feel very different being here because you haven't experienced business before. If you've worked for 15 years in a London agency that's really, really quite hardcore, this feels incredibly different in terms of the way that we operate and how things are impacted and how things change. So you, you can't have one rule applying to absolutely everyone because everyone's at a different end of the experience spectrum. Right, right. Okay, final question I like to ask most of my guests is, for you, Nikki, what does it mean to be human? <laughs> wow. I think it means that you can live your best life, having the most positive impact on those around you and create as much value in your, your sphere of influence as you possibly can, no matter how big or small that sphere of influence is. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's all about your connections and your personal emotions with other people. And that's what we need to bring more into business. Beautiful. Okay, well, thank you very much. And for people who want to learn more about this philosophy, it's super engaged yes. on Amazon. Yes. And the super, agency, sorry, go on. There's a super engaged website where there's a whole load of tools, there's some videos, there's a whole load of resources to use to look at your own engagement levels within your business, where you are now, where you could go. And then there's the ProPenet website as well, which is ProPenet.co.uk. Awesome, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> You're very welcome. Brilliant, thank you. Thanks. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.